Marty, thank you. Beautiful, Bruce. This is uh, Marty Boone, been a member of our church for a long, long decades. Bruce Clifton was playing the keyboards there. Would you give it up for them one more time? Yeah. I, uh, we actually piped that over into the, the, the venue today. And as I was kind of putting this all together, this message, that song came to my mind and I was singing it. And I uh, asked if Marty would come at all of our gatherings. She was here last night, sang it last hour, this hour. Bruce, if they would, he'd come and tickle the ivories, if you will. And that song is just really, that's uh, just a great song. I want to welcome those of you that are over in the venue. I was over there for a little bit. Great crowd over there, and appreciate all of you leading worship there. Terry Nelson and James, uh, I don't know if James, if it was your first time playing guitar on the platform, but I appreciate you using your gifts, and Terry, thanks for playing the bass and using your gifts for the first time here at our church. Uh, blessings on, on all of you. If you uh, have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. All of the verses, or most of them will be in your notepads or your note sheets, or they'll come up on the, the, the jumbotrons. Welcome, those of you that are watching online, or maybe you're listening on the, on the radio. We're glad you're with us. Um, in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven different churches. These were churches in the first century that were located throughout Asia Minor. And as I've told you, they were basically like progress reports. Jesus writes to these seven churches and basically tells them how they were doing. And uh, he, he tells them all the good things that they were doing, and he hip hip arrays them and says, keep it going. And he's got a few things to say um, about things that these churches were involved in that, that weren't good, things that he wanted them to stay away from or maybe just do away with altogether. Uh, these letters really were, were filled with great wisdom from Jesus, wisdom that we can learn from today. And so far we looked at the first letter, the, the letter to the, to the busy church. Um, this was a church that had gotten so busy doing a lot of really good things, holy things, righteous things, that they forgot about the most important thing. And that was just their first love for Jesus. And whenever um, you lose your first love for Jesus, that's not a good thing. The Bible says that the greatest thing you can do with your life is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest thing you can do. And then Jesus said that the second greatest thing you can do with your life is equally important, and that is that you would love others the, the, the way you love yourself. And that's what this is all about. Um, I love myself, I love my family to the degree I'm meeting their needs, and so all my kids will get backpacks with paper, pencils, protractors, whatever all the stuff is they need to be successful. And God says I'm to do that. I need to make sure that my family's taken care of. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is, the sinful thing is, is when all I care about is me and my family and I don't care about others. That's how we love others, the way we love ourselves. And so this first church, though they were doing lots of good things, holy things, righteous things, had gotten off track a little bit. And they had forgot about their first love. And so Jesus um, writes to them and gives them a few thoughts on how they can get their first love back. And last week... Uh, we began to look at the second letter, the, the letter to the, the suffering church, which we can all relate to because we all suffer, don't we? All of us. Obviously, some suffer more than others, but we all feel pain and sorrow and, and, and suffering in our lives. It might be the, the pain and sorrow that comes when a loved one dies. This past week, I was on the phone with somebody that lost their 89-year-old mother, and uh, it doesn't matter how old the loved one is, death brings with it pain at times and sorrow and all that. It might be the, the pain and sorrow that comes when your, your spouse is unfaithful. I've been here at Big Valley Grace for 30 years, and it's a painful thing. It's a painful to the, the, the spouse, the, the kids. It's, it's just a painful thing to extended family members. It might be the pain and sorrow that comes when your teenager goes sideways. That's a painful thing, isn't it, Mom, Dad? It might be the, the pain and sorrow that comes when your dad or your mom goes sideways, if you're a student in here. 
It might be the pain and sorrow that comes when you lose your job or, or maybe you lost your home. Could be the sorrow that you experienced when you, you, your business went under. You know, you prayed and you dreamed and you saved and you stepped out in faith and you started the business right at the worst moment, right? The crash happened and man, that's just a painful thing. Might be the, the pain and sorrow that comes when, when you can't get pregnant. We have a lot of young couples in our church and you know, you can see somebody else and they're having babies and somebody else is having a baby and for whatever reason, God isn't opening up your womb. And that can be a painful thing. I shared with you last week what the strangest or the weirdest promise Jesus ever made was. It's found in John chapter 16. Jesus said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. And that's a promise. The word of God says that the standard equipment in life is sorrow, pain, suffering. It's just something we all have to, to, to deal with. Now, last week, I got a ton of emails asking me why. Why is life so full of trials and sorrows? Or, or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? And that's always a, a question that a lot of people ask. Well, one of the interesting things about the Bible to, to, to me is that the Bible doesn't try to explain it all the way. The Bible doesn't try to explain away all the pain and sorrows and trials that we, we go through. Now, now, it does give us a, a couple of thoughts, and, and I want to share those with you right now. Number one, life is tough. You suffer because of sin. Listen to what God said right after Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis chapter 3 says, Then he, that's God, said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, God says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and dust you will return. The fact that you live in a fallen world, beloved, means that you're going to experience suffering and pain and brokenness. Remember, um, Two of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible are Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In fact, I tell those of you that have been through the follow class that I think they're probably the two most important chapters that you know, Genesis 1 and 2. Because it's in those two chapters that you really get to see how God wanted things to be. He creates the world, he creates all the fish and all the plants and all the birds and all the things that crawl on the ground. Then he creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in this beautiful garden and he says, Adam, Eve, it's all yours. Enjoy it all. I'm going to be your God. You're, you're going to be my people. We're, we're going to do life together. This is going to be fantastic. It's all yours. Enjoy it. I've created it all for you. I only ask you to do one thing, Adam and Eve. Don't eat from that tree over there. Just stay away from that one. So Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see how God intended things to be. Then you get to Genesis chapter 3 and everything changes. You see, Adam and Eve decided that they were going to blow God off, that they weren't going to obey God, and they went to that tree and they ate from that tree. And at that moment, everything changed. Sin entered into the world. Weeds and thistles, pollution, chaos, famine, cancer, rape, thievery, drug addiction, corruption of all kind, tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes, any other cruddy thing you can think of. Beloved, Genesis chapter 3 is where you read about why there's so much pain and sorrow and suffering. It's why Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this life... You're going to experience troubles. And you can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The second reason we suffer is this. Life is tough because of the bad choices that you make or that others make. 
The great apostle Paul said, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, a woman reaps what they sow, a teenager reaps what they sow. And this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of the suffering and problems you face in life, you're brought on by yourself from the choices that you made. You're, you're simply reaping what you sow. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say you make the choice to go buy a car on credit. And then you make the choice to go on a vacation, and you put that on the credit card. Then you make the choice to buy a Ski-Doo on credit. And then you make the choice to go out and eat at a restaurant on credit. And then you decide to go out and buy some new clothes and you buy them on credit. And then you go and buy some new furniture for your home and you put that on the credit card. Then you join a health club and you make the monthly dues payment on your credit card. So you've made all these choices. And then one day you and your spouse wake up and you realize that you're going bankrupt. You got all these you know, bill collectors nipping at your heels. And that begins to cause a bunch of tension and, and, and strife in your life. It begins to, 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 you know, begin to cause you guys to fight and argue. And guess who's caught in the middle of it? Your children. Wasn't their choice. The reason why they're now experiencing pain and sorrow and suffering are because of the choices you as their parents made. And the reason why you're experiencing pain and suffering is because of the choices you made. It had nothing to do with God. Don't blame it on God. You're the one who decided to take that plastic thing out and wipe it around and swipe it here and there and all that stuff. And after all, it's just 12 easy payments. I've never made one payment that was easy. Never. They always tell you, hey, just 12 easy payments, man. Not one of them have ever been easy especially when you stack them all up and you've got a whole bunch of easy payments, you see. <laughs> Number three, life is tough. You suffer because of Satan. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, uh, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I've, I'm often asked, hey, pastor, do you really believe in, in a devil and the demons and all that? Yeah, I do. Not only does the Bible clearly teach that there's a devil and the demons, but just pick up your newspaper on any given day and just read about some of the heinous evil that one person can perpetrate against another. There's only one way to explain that. And that's just, just evil in a, in a, on a realm we, we just don't really get. Beloved, the devil causes all kinds of problems. He causes diseases, he causes death, he causes tension, he causes stress, he, he, he causes suffering. These are all just tools in his tool belt. And the fourth reason we suffer is this. Life is tough. You suffer because of your faith. Peter says in chapter four, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Beloved, sometimes the, uh, you know, the Bible says that suffering is just a part of God's will for your life. It's just a part of God's plan for your life. The believers that Peter was writing to here were under incredible persecution. They were suffering in ways that none of us in this room could, could really understand. I think that's gonna change probably in my lifetime, certainly my children's lifetime, and I'm gonna talk more about that in a moment. Paul says in Philippians chapter one, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Look, sometimes you, you suffer simply because you're a follower of Jesus, which as I said, I'm gonna talk about more in a minute. So, so these are some of the reasons we, we, we go through bad times, difficult times, uh, sin, the choices you make, the choices others might make. I was reading the other day about a guy who made a choice to go to a bar. He made a choice to drink a bunch of liquor at this bar. He made the choice then after getting drunk to get into his 2,000 pound uh, piece of steel, a car. He made the choice to turn on the ignition. He made the choice to put that car into gear. He made the choice to drive it down the road. And because he was drunk, he ran through a stop sign and wiped out another car, killed a couple of people. His choices brought a whole lot of pain and suffering into somebody else's life. It was his choice to get drunk. It was his choice to start his car. It was his choice to drive that car. 
and yet somebody else is going to pay the price literally forever, this side of glory. The issue isn't, you know, whether we're going to suffer. We're, we're going to suffer. Satan's out there. You know, you're a follower of Christ. The issue is, is how you handle the suffering. And that's the beautiful thing about this letter, this second letter to the suffering church, is that Jesus gives some great wisdom, if you will, some great thoughts on, on what you ought to think about, what you ought to focus on when you're, you're suffering, regardless of the, the suffering. So, so let's read this second letter together, okay? Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So, so, so this is Jesus. He writes this letter. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are really a, of the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now last week, I um, wanted you to use your imagination, and I want you to do that again, okay? I want you to imagine you're at your favorite coffee shop, maybe your favorite restaurant or whatever, and it's just you and Jesus. There's nobody else in the restaurant. There's, there's nobody else bothering you. You are alone with Jesus. And Jesus says, tell me what's going on in your life. And you begin to pour out your heart to him. You begin to tell him about all the pain and the sorrow uh, about the divorce. You begin to tell him about all the pain and the sorrow of, you know, your teenager going nuts. You begin to lay out to him all of the suffering that's gone with your business not making it. You begin to tell him about all of the pain and the sorrow that, that came when that doctor, you know, put up that x-ray and showed you a, a, a place where there's a lump, you know, where there's not supposed to be a lump. You began to lay out all of the pain and the sorrow of how your life just didn't necessarily go the way you thought it would go. You lay out the pain and the sorrow of the fact that you're not able to get pregnant or whatever that is. And man, you've just spent 30 minutes just pouring out your heart to the Lord and you know, he hands you some tissues and you're wiping the tears away. And now you're done. You're exhausted. And now he's going to say something to you. And last week I shared with you the first two things that I think Jesus would say to you. Number one, the first thing I think Jesus says to you when you're suffering is, I know. I know. Verse 9 says, I know. I know about your afflictions. I think when you got done sharing whatever it is that's on your heart, he would say, I know about all the pain you're in. I know. I know about all the difficulties of your marriage, I know. I know about all the, the cancer they found in your body, I know. I know about the fact that you lost a, a loved one, I know. The writer of Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing. And that includes your pain, your sorrow, your troubles, your sorrows, whatever they might be. Psalms 147 says, our Lord is great and very powerful. There's no limit to what he knows. And I think the first thing that, that God would say to you, the first thing he says to this church that was suffering is, I know, I'm aware of all of the things that are going on in your life. Number two, the second thing Jesus says when you're suffering is, don't be afraid. Verse 10, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And this is a common phrase I told you last week that you find in the Bible, this phrase, don't be afraid, especially in the Old Testament. God says over and over and over again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And the reason God says it over and over again is because we as human beings have the, a great propensity to be afraid. All of us are afraid at times. 
And if there's anybody who'd stand up and say, oh, I never get afraid, then we know what your fear is. You're afraid of just being honest. <laughs> because we're all afraid. Every time I walk up here, and I've been doing this for a long time, I want you to know, uh, I don't get afraid to come up here and do announcements. Hey, this is what's going on. Everybody bring a backpack. I got over that years ago. That didn't bring any fear into my life. But it's a fearful thing to get up and talk about the things of the Lord. James says, don't let many of you become teachers, knowing that there will be a stricter judgment on you. It's a fearful thing. No, you, you, you still get by it. You work through it. There's not a fireman in this building or over there in the venue doesn't show up at a house that's burning, and they don't have fear. But guess what? They run into that building anyway. There's not a policeman here or a sheriff or whatever who doesn't make a stop and there isn't a little bit of fear that runs through their hearts. But they still make the stop anyway. Probably a lot of you wives of soldiers or husbands of soldiers or maybe your spouse is a policeman. You probably got a little fear when they walk out the door and go to work. Not very many careers, you know, are the chances greater that they don't come home. But whatever the fear is, and let me tell you something, nothing brings on fear like pain and sorrow and troubles. And the second thing Jesus would say to you is, listen, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through this sorrowful moment. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come. God says, listen, my Holy Spirit is within you. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is within you. You could take all the nuclear power plants on the globe and funnel all that energy into one you know, beam of, of total energy and shoot it onto a dead body, and that body won't come back to life. But the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside of you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you weren't here last weekend to hear this message on these first two, you know, you need to go out there and spend some money if it's burning a hole in your pocket and buy the CD or buy the DVD and, and listen to it or watch it or, or just save your money and go to our website and just watch the message for free. You need to hear it because I spend a lot more time on these first two, and I, I think you ought to listen to it. Now, the third thing that Jesus would say to you is this, and this one's, this one's the, the tough one, okay? This is the one that nobody is going to like, okay? The third thing that Jesus says when you're suffering is, I tell you. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, and don't get all tripped up on, well, what, what is the 10 days? He's just, Jesus is just saying, hey, persecution's coming. More trouble's coming. Suffering's coming. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he doesn't pull any punches. He tells us the truth about life. He tells us the truth about us. He says, you're a sinner. Your sin has separated you from the Father. There isn't anything you can do to fix the sin problem in your life. He says, you're not good. You're evil. Some people are just more evil than others. Jesus tells us the, 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 the truth about what happens when you make the choice to follow him. And here Jesus tells this church the painful truth that more suffering is on the way. And in fact, in a minute, I'm going to tell you the story of one of the pastors of this church at Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. It's a great story. Beloved, if you were to sit down with Jesus and you poured out your heart to him, the first thing he would say to you is this, I know. I know about it already. And the second thing he would say to you is that you don't need to be afraid. I'm walking with you through it all. And the third thing he would tell you is this, there's more suffering to come. John 16, right? In this life, you're going to experience troubles. You're going to experience pain. And Jesus doesn't try to candy coat anything. He doesn't tell this, this suffering church, hey, everything's going to be great. 
Just give your life to me, you know, and no problems. No worries, man. No. More suffering is, is on the way. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, do, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. Jesus is saying, look, they didn't like me. They slandered me, they made fun of me, they mocked me, they ridiculed me, they put me through a fake trial. They trumped up a bunch of charges against me. They beat me to a bloody pulp. They put me on a cross. And guess what? If you stand up and tell people you're one of my followers, the same thing's gonna happen to you. Jesus wanted you to understand that being a, a follower of his came with a bullseye on your, on your back. Now here in America, the bullseye has, was, hasn't been very big and it really been kind of faded. You know, the, the worst persecution that, that we face, you know, at least my first 30 years of being a believer has been, hey, you're a Jesus freak, you know, or, or uh, you know, oh, you're, you're one of those Bible thumpers. Or, yeah, the reason why you need Jesus is because you're weak and, you know, you need a crutch. <laughs> but things are changing. The persecution is getting way different today. In fact, it seems like just in a nanosecond, things have changed within the last six months. The bullseyes on our back are now bigger and the bullseye is bright red. And you're a hater! You bigot! Unbelievable what's happening to followers of Jesus right now. And it's gonna get way worse. And I'm gonna talk more about it in just a, a minute. Now let me quickly unpack something for you, okay? Jesus said, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. Who's the they? When Jesus said, well, they, they persecuted me and they are gonna persecute you, who is that? Who's the they? Well, obviously things are different today than they were 2,000 years ago when Jesus you know, said these words, but let me give you a thought or two, okay? Number one, persecution comes from the government. The they is the government. Power, 2,000 years ago, it was the Roman government saying to them, you know, you need to bow down and worship Caesar. And if they didn't do that, they were in trouble. Today, the government hasn't told us that we gotta bow down to, to it, but you can certainly see that laws are being created that make it difficult to live out your beliefs. And when you don't make the choice to follow those ungodly laws, there's gonna be repercussions. Let me give you one of them. In my lifetime, I think before I'm done preaching at this pulpit, um, the government has already passed a bunch of ungodly laws, passing it off as these are good things, and things that are good passing off as evil. And so the government has said, uh, it's good that you marry a man with another man, or it's good that you marry a woman and another woman, which is an obvious violation of God's word. And so the government says to me, the tip of the arrow, you know what? You, you can continue to live out your, your, your beliefs right now. I can do that. But there's going to come a moment when the government's going to say, okay, if you don't want to abide by our laws, you're free to live out your faith, but you don't get to um, enjoy the benefits of being a nonprofit. And so what they'll do is they'll take away our, non, uh, our, our, our tax status. At that moment, and I, that's gonna happen in my lifetime, I believe this. At that moment, literally when that law passes, all the little churches out there will have to close up immediately. Th they couldn't handle paying taxes on their land anymore. Imagine if you didn't get uh, a tax write-off uh, for your giving. Now you shouldn't give because you get a tax write-off. Some of you understand the significance of giving, and so you give anyway, but imagine you didn't get a tax write-off. Imagine if we had to pay taxes on a couple of hundred thousand square feet of buildings and a hundred acres of land every year. <laughs> 
We could weather the storm. We're a big church. The average church couldn't do it. And literally in a nanosecond, you'd have, oh, in this town, I don't know, 100 churches would just close their doors. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't make it anymore. Number two, per persecution comes from the culture. This might be the, the number one place we face persecution in America, at least today, and that's the media, Hollywood, whatever. You know, the TV shows always portray us as weirdos and bigots and, you know, we, we, you guys just don't care about anybody. We're feeding 250 people in our community who, who don't know the Lord every month here. Oliviana's closet. You, you guys just don't care. <laughs> Number three, persecution comes from the evil one, the, the, the devil. Ultimately, this is the, the source of all suffering, all pain, all persecution. And Jesus makes this clear in this second letter. Once again, verse 10 says, I tell you, the devil is going to put some of you in prison to test you. Once again, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, stay alert, watch out, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for somebody to persecute. And then there's this interesting passage in Luke chapter 22 that kind of fascinated me. And it, at first it wasn't going to make the message, um, but, but for whatever reason last night I, I decided to, to, to put it in here. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. I want you to know something. I could take that sentence and do, you know, a 12-week series on the implications of that of that sentence, that somehow the enemy has, has gone to the Father and said, listen, I want to sift Peter like wheat. In other words, I, I, I want to separate him from his walk with the Lord, so to speak. And obviously we, we see that happening in the book of Job, where Satan comes to uh, God and says, God, give me a shot at Job. Let, let, let me sift him as wheat, so to speak. And Jesus says, I want you to know, Simon, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for all the guys. And the story goes on. And Peter says, ah, oh, boss, are you kidding me? I'm ready to die for you, man. You don't have to worry about me being sifted, being separated. I'm with you, man. You count me in. And Jesus says, oh, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And it wasn't some big Roman soldier seal who shows up with a big, you know, sword and says, hey, hey, aren't you one of his believers? If you are, man, I'm ready to take your head off. It wasn't anything like that. It was a little peasant girl. Hey, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Hey, not me. I know what you're talking about. He's being sifted. Just, <laughs> look, if you really understood the implications of Luke chapter 22 right there, men, you would spend a lot more time praying for your wife who is being sifted like wheat. You'd pray for your children more often because you understood this idea that the enemy's out there sifting your children like wheat. Ladies, you'd spend a lot more time praying for your man because you know that the enemy's out there sifting them like wheat, sifting your children like wheat. Hey, kids, you'd pray more often for your dad and for your mom if you understood the implications that the enemy is out there sifting them like wheat. Nothing wrong with coming and experiencing the joy of the Lord, and we have a lot to be joyful about, right? Wow, there's a, a serious side to our, our journey of faith, our walk of faith. And that is we got an enemy. 
he, he, he's out there and he's active and he's good at what he does. In fact, he has his PhD in screwing up lives. He has his PhD in screwing up families, right? For some of you, you could stand up and say, he's, yeah, he's destroyed uh, three of my families now. You see, the enemy's really good at what he does. And the great apostle Paul says the, the, the war that we face it, 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 it isn't against one another. <laughs> it's a spiritual war. That's the battle. The God who's, 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 who's greater than the enemy, but the enemy's still pretty good. And we need to be cognitive of it. So the first thing that Jesus would say to you is this, is I know about all the pain that you're in. And the second thing he'd say to you is, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you through it all. But, but then he would say, hey, listen, I want you to know there, there's more trouble coming. There's more pain coming. There's more sorrow coming. And I believe we here in America are going to ex experience this pain and this sorrow and this persecution in a way greater level. Way greater level. The fourth thing that Jesus would say to you if you're suffering is this, is be faithful. Yes, there are, are crummy times coming. Yes, there's more persecution and trials and suffering, but be faithful. Verse 10 says, be faithful. And I wish it ended there, but it doesn't. It says, even to the point of death. Huh? Well, I like the faithful thing. But I don't know about this faithful to the point of death. Really? Let me say this. Some of you, you haven't been faithful in, because someone called you Jesus freak. You, you, you couldn't be faithful because you weren't invited to the right parties. And so you went, yeah, I don't know about this church thing. I'm not going to do it. The idea of being faithful to the point of death. <laughs> Here's the bottom line. Let me just tell you. And I love you. When the persecution comes, church, and it's going to come, some of you won't be able to stand it. Maybe it's the person on your left or your right. But many of you are going to go, man, I, I kind of liked it when I could just go to church and I could just kind of do my thing and and I could go to work, and oh, someone may have laughed at me if they found out I was a Christian. But now, man, I, I don't want to be ridiculed anymore. I don't want to be slandered anymore. I found out why my neighbors don't invite me to their house anymore for the parties. They found out I'm a Christian. I, I, going to a party or having people like you or whatever is going to be more important. And that's going to be some of you. And I don't know who it's going to be, but it'll be some of you. Look, there's only one way you can pull this off, be, being faithful to God to the point of death. And that's you've got to believe that God is faithful to you. In other words, if you don't believe that God is faithful to you, then you'll never be faithful to him. Never. Especially when, when the heat is on. So let me take a second and just unpack something for you. Lamentations chapter 3 says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. One of the great songs of the, of the faith is, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Taken right from this passage right here. And it's an easy song to sing. It's a whole other song, to, a whole other thing to really believe it. Psalms 89 says, your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All of heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. Psalms 33 says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He, that's God, is faithful in all he does. Look, one of the things that a lot of children ask me is this. Pastor Rick, is there anything that God can't do? And the answer is Yes. There's quite a few things that God can't do. Let me share with you a couple of them. Number one, God can't do wrong. 
In other words, God always does what is right. Deuteronomy 32 says, he is the rock, his deeds are perfect, everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. Number two, the second thing God can't do is this, God can't lie. In other words, he's holy, he always tells the truth. Hebrews chapter six says, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And the third thing that God can't do is this, God can't break a promise. In other words, God is faithful. Numbers chapter 23 says, God is not a man so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Psalms 145 says, the Lord will keep all of his promises. And beloved, there, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible, and each one of them, all 7,000 plus of them, have either been fulfilled or they will be fulfilled. Why? Because God can't lie. He is faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. He can't break a promise. And if you'll grasp these three characteristics of God, the fact that he can't do anything wrong, that he can't lie, and that he can't break a promise, that he's faithful. If you grasp these three things, especially the fact that God is faithful, you'll have no problem trusting him when things go haywire. You'll have no problems trusting him if persecution were to come upon you or your family. You'd have no problem trusting him if persecution comes upon us as a church. None. About 65 years after Jesus wrote this letter to this church, the Roman government came and took the pastor of this church. His name was Polycarp. And you can read his story in this book called Jesus Freak. You can read the story in a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. But Polycarp was the pastor of the church. And the Roman government showed up and took Polycarp, took him into this big arena. The arena was filled up with uh, all kinds of people. And they basically said, Polycarp, here's the deal. You're either going to deny Jesus or you're going to die. And he did. He died a horrible death. And all the people in this arena were going, kill him, kill Polycarp, kill him. We don't want him talking about some God. We don't want to submit our lives to some God. We want to do what we want to do, right? We, we, we don't want anybody telling us how to live. We don't want anybody, you know, telling us about some morality that I got to live by. Man, I want to do what I want to do. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And so they, Polycarp wasn't going to do it. And they decided they were going to tie him to a stake and burn him alive. And so when they came to tie him to the stake, Polycarp said, hey, listen, you don't need to tie me up. You don't have to tie me to the stake. Just put the wood around me and start the fire. This is my time, it's my time. So they put all the wood around this great man who wrote a lot of great things for the faith. And this is what he said. Last thing he said, he said, 86 years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ and he has never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And those are some pretty famous words in, in the church today. There he was, and before they threw the fire on, you know, all the wood, he said, for 86 years I've served the Lord and he's been faithful to me, in other words. He's never done me wrong, so hey, I'm not gonna blaspheme him now. Light the fire. And as I was reading this story this week, I was sitting in my office and I was just kind of pacing around going, man, Polycarp's my brother in the Lord. I I'm not going to face that kind of thing here in America, at least not in my lifetime. But if God doesn't come back, I want you to know it's probably getting there. America's going to get there at some moment. I know that's hard for some of you to believe. <laughs> in my lifetime... You mark this down. We're going to see scaffolding put up in Washington, D.C. around those great buildings that have all those Bible verses on them. And they will take putty and they will plug up all those great passages. You remember this moment. It will happen in my lifetime. 
Anyway, I'm, I'm in my office and I went to my whiteboard and I wrote this down. 33 years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ and he has never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And as I began to think about my brother Polycarp and what he said, it, it resonated with me. And I just, I just wrote that down. And I said, I'm with you, Polycarp. Thank you, Polycarp, for standing for the truth. And so inside your program, I, I put a little special box there. I gave you an opportunity to write it down for yourself. I, I don't know. Maybe it's been one year. Maybe it's been two years. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's been 10. But you ought to write that down. Maybe it's been a week. Maybe it's been, you know, a month. But you ought to write down on that note sheet, you know what, I've been serving the Lord if you believe it. If you believe it. If you don't believe it, don't write it down. When I was in my office and I was making a commitment, I was settling the issue with God. And I'm not going to blaspheme you, God. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care. 1 Corinthians chapter one says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's faithful. If you believe that, mark that down on your sheet. Second Thessalonians chapter three says, but the Lord is faithful. He, he will give strength to you and he'll guard you from the evil one. And I believe as Polycarp was on that pile of wood that the same Holy Spirit that indwells me was indwelling him. And that Holy Spirit Power came upon him and he was able to say, 86 years I've served the Lord and never once has he done me wrong and I'm not blaspheming him now. Throw the torch on here. And the story goes that the fires didn't kill him and that they actually had to come up with a spear and they rammed him with the spear and all his blood and liquid rushed out of him and that's what killed him but it also put out the fire. Listen, God is faithful. He's faithful in ways you, you, you can't imagine. Your life isn't going to be perfect. God never promised you'd have a perfect life. Never. But what he did promise you is that whatever struggle, problem, trial, persecution you go through, he's going to be right there with you. He's going to walk through it with you. Life isn't always going to be easy, but he's faithful. He's faithful. And last but not least, number five, I think the fifth and maybe the last thing that Jesus would say to you when you're suffering is, is I will give you. Verse 10, he says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. You see, I think if you were to pour out your heart to the, to the Lord, he'd tell you, I, I already know about it. I know. And then he'd say to you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And I want you to know that you're going to go through some more stuff. But listen, if you'd be faithful, when it's all said and done, you take your last breath, you'll stand before me, and he gives us this imagery that he'll put a crown on our heads, the crown of life. And at that moment, beloved, let me tell you something. All the things that have happened in your life or happened in your family's life that don't make sense or didn't make sense or the things that will happen in your life that won't make sense and will get you all spun out, let me tell you something. At that moment, everything will make sense. At that moment, you take your last breath and the Lord puts the crown of life on your head. Everything's going to make sense. You're not going to look at Jesus and go, hey, hey, listen, I'm glad I'm in heaven and all that, but back in 62, you know, I, this crummy thing happened in my, it's all going to make sense at that moment. I believe that when Polycarp, you know, took his last breath, my brother in the Lord, your brother in the Lord, he took his last breath, he, he was faithful to the point of death. At that next breath, he was in the presence of God. God puts the crown of life on his head, and guess what? He didn't think back to the crummy things that the Roman government had done to him or all the suffering or the pain that he had gone through. He wasn't thinking about any of that anymore. He was now with the Lord. 
Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, comparing with the glory that will re be revealed in us. <laughs> in other words, look, look, I know some of you, you've been dealing with a physical ailment for decades. Maybe you know somebody and they've been dealing with something physical, some pain, some suffering physical for, for, for decades. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Let me tell you something. If that's you, you've been suffering with something for a long time. You remain faithful. And when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, wow. And you receive the crown of life. Eternity compared to whatever it is you've been suffering down here right now, it, it, there's no comparison. No comparison. That's what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 8. Look, someday Jesus is coming back. And at that moment he comes back, he's going to, He's going to gather up his church, all of us, and we're out of here. Or you're going to take your last breath and we're just going to go be with the Lord. But either way, let me tell you something. At that moment, everything changes. He's going to make all the wrongs right, and it's an incredible moment. And so the first thing I think that Jesus would say to you if you're suffering is, I know, I know about it. And then he would tell you, don't, don't, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then he'd be honest with you and say, hey, look, I, I need to tell you that, that there's more suffering that's going to come. There's more pain and sorrow in the cards for you. But he would then say, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because there's coming a day where if you just be faithful, I'm going to give you the crown of life. You're going to be with me forever in glory. And let those five thoughts maybe rattle around in your brain. Maybe there are five things you might want to share with a friend. I, I, I don't know. But here we've had, you know, we've gone through two letters, a, a busy church and a suffering church, and though these letters were written thousands of years ago, they're still applicable to us today. And if God doesn't come back, we're, we're going to begin to look at the confused church. And that one's applicable too, trust me. I, I, this is what I want you to do. You, you stay seated. And cameraman, I want you to go right over there because I want the people in the venue to see Rocco. Rocco, stand up. Stand up, Rocco. So most of you don't know who this man is. In 1977, before I was a Christian, um, this church used to be called Greenwood Grace Brethren Church. And in 1977, the people of this church, this is 35 plus years ago, decided that they wanted to send out a missionary to go tell others about Jesus Christ. And Rocco, I think, Rocco Panapinto and his wife were, the, were, I think, the very first couple that this church ever said, we want you to be one of our missionaries, and we sent him out, and for 35 years, he has faithfully served over in Germany. And I want you to give it up for my friend Rocco right here. Um, <laughs> last night, I walk into the, our prayer time here. We, we meet at 5 o'clock and we pray, and there he was, and I thought, man, this is just unbelievable that this faithful man would be here on this weekend. I know he's coming. And he's been through a lot of crummy things, if, if you heard some of the stories, and yet he's remained faithful. And we may not have experienced some of the stuff that, that he has, but I believe we're going to as it relates to persecution. And God says, just be faithful. Just be faithful, because there's coming a moment when we're going to get out of this place. And in just a moment after we're done praying, he's going to be right outside here at a reach wall. Some of you know Rocco. Go on, shake his hand. Give him the high five or whatever. And then don't forget to pick up your, your deal so we can be a blessing to um, to some others. Why don't you stand over in the venue, stand, and Pastor Bobby's going to pray over there. And
Pastor Scott's going to pray here, okay?